Okay, we are starting 1 Thessalonians today. We're going to have a study, another book of Paul's to look at. The lesson title is Commended, Transformed Lives Impact Others for the Sake of the Gospel. And our memory verse is 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when... In spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. So I was wondering this week as you studied this lesson, who has influenced you? Have you been influenced by our pastor? I would say I have been. Yeah, and your father. Influence can shape a person's goal and direction for their life. So an influencer is someone who has the power to affect the decisions of others because his or her authority, knowledge, position, or relationship with that audience. So currently, the word influencer is a big word in social media. Currently, 3.4 billion people, billion, actively use social media. That's half of the population. That's a lot of people walking around with the cell phone. (laughs) That has given rise to social media influencers. And you're considered a mega influencer if you're a celebrity and you have one million or more followers. You're considered a macro influencer if you're either a second tier celebrity or an expert of some kind, and you have anywhere from 40,000 followers to a million. And then there are the micro influencers. Those are the ordinary people, like you and I. We could be a micro influencer because you may post on Facebook or tweet or, like I have, a little podcast that broadcasts our our Sunday School lesson each week. So anybody who has from one to 40,000 followers is a micro-influencer. So our young people today are called Generation Z, and they are much more apt to learn from the computer, from their phones, than from a TV program or uh, internet um, sports program or movie. So one of the ways that that generation actually is being reached is through social media. So it is very influential in our secular and Christian framework. And so we have to as Christians be aware that when we post on social media, we become a micro-influencer, and so it is a big deal. It isn't a little deal for you to get into an argument in front of the whole world because social media is in front of the whole world. It is your Christian reputation, and so people have to be very cognizant of that when they're on, on the social platforms. Our church is very media out there now. We have people who watch our sermons, our Facebook live sermons from all over the world and 
pastor says there's some regular attenders even in the west coast so it is a good thing that there's a steady stream and one of the ways that influence is done is by a steady stream of the information going out that's one of the ways that you can make a difference so if we're going to be an in-person influence and nothing replaces that so i can say all of this about social media but nothing replaces your one-on-one conversations and your touch points with people in person so it's very important to understand that you yourselves are an imitation of christ you are the only jesus that people know and so it becomes extremely important for our testimony for us to be good influencers so i think since we studied paul recently we can all agree that he was a great influencer right he has made a difference in our lives already just with the letters that we have studied but in his letters to the thessalonians paul offered advice to all of us on just being a good follower of jesus christ it was perfect content to influence a persecuted church of that day and it's perfect content for us to study right now to influence a Christian audience today. And I don't know if you have ever taken pause, like I have, to the fact that our quarterlies are planned years in advance, that they are mapped out to be a certain time and a week that we would study them. But I have all week meditated on the fact that last Sunday we prayed together, we learned together how Daniel prayed for the nation of Israel in a time of severe change that was coming, that they were going to get out of exile, and and he recognized holy God's movement and sovereignness in that. And we were able to study that lesson, and it was ordained from the Southern Baptist Convention, the writers were ordained by the Holy Spirit that it would be last Sunday when our convention said, let's all pray for Ukraine. Did you pick that up? Then the pastor, straight after my lesson where we prayed, learned how to pray, and we were applying that to our world's situation today, then the pastor picked up and said, we need to pray for Ukraine. Our, our convention is praying all of us together. And I pondered on that all week how The Holy Spirit had made that happen all of those months in advance because he knows the future. And we can feel so good that he is in charge of our lives. He knows what we're facing. And so just like that, I think it's the perfect content for us to study right now for us. Because just like the Church of Thessalonica, we believe we're living in the end times. They were so persecuted. They felt like they were living in the end times. So the most important part of Paul's influential work is that the most influential person in Paul's life was Jesus Christ. Paul was stopped on the road to Damascus from his mission to destroy the church. He was known, uh, he was going after the movement called the way, and it was his full intent to destroy that movement. He felt that was an apostasy against God of the universe whom he served and he was going to personally 
take care of it. He had obtained letters from the high priest authorizing him to arrest any followers of Jesus in the city of Damascus. And on the way to Damascus, Jesus stopped him in his tracks. He was struck down, him and his companions, by a bright light. And Paul was blinded for three days. He had a direct voice of the Lord Jesus direct him in Acts 9, 4. It says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. From that day point forward, Paul claimed himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, having had a direct encounter with him. And a servant of Christ named Ananias explained Jesus had chosen him to take salvation to the Gentiles and the Jewish people. So Paul had the perfect credentials to be an influencer. And he was a, he was a Jewish culture expert. So there's your influential person. They have to be an expert in something. He knew Hebrew, so he knew the language of the Old Testament, so he could understand it. He was brought up in Tarsus, so he knew the Greek culture and understood their culture and their society. He was trained in Jewish theology, so he was a seminary student, and he was a preacher. He knew, he knew the Word of God, and so that was perfect for him to be able to connect the Old Testament, what God had done to provide Jesus. He was a tent maker, so he could support himself. So into those terms, if we put him in today's terms, he would be a mega influencer. He wouldn't have started out as a movie star celebrity, but the millions and millions and millions of people that he has influenced over time and the thousands and thousands of people he generated into Christianity in his time make him definitely a mega influencer. We have studied his missionary journeys and letters and his credentials allowed him to take Christianity into Europe. He moved it from the Middle East into Europe. So a key element of influence is the ability to make things change, to motivate people, to, to give them what they need, to have the change in that they need. So Paul's time in Thessalonica is recorded in Acts chapter 17. It was on his second missionary journey, and Acts 16 records that he was stopped from proceeding north. He did not plan to go into Europe. He planned to go north, and he was actually stopped, not allowed, redirected to go into Macedonia. And Macedonia would be Greece of today. So that was a corridor into Europe. His first church plant on this journey was to Philippi. So we have studied Philippians and his messages to them. But after a tumultuous kicking out from there, he went to Thessalonica. So Ancient Thessalonica is located in the northern part of Greece, and it was founded by Cassandra, who was one of the Greek generals left when Alexander the Great died. So remember last week we talked about Alexander the Great was prophesied by Daniel to take over the world. And in six short years, from age 27 to age 33, he did. He conquered the known world. 
And then he was so sad and pitiful that he drank himself to death because he had nothing left to conquer. And they said, who do you want to leave things with? And so he left them, he said, with the strong. And he had four generals. And so Cassandra was one of those generals. And he was the one who uh, built the city of the the place called um, Thessalonica. It was named after one of his wives. So it was a major trade city because of the water routes of the Danube River that takes it it to the Mediterranean Sea. It was um, considered a free city in Rome, which was a big deal. Most cities were not considered free, but for some reason they had earned that right. And so they had um, their own coins and they had their own commerce and they were pretty much able to you know, have the culture and live as a free society even inside of the Roman Empire. So when Paul got there, he found that there were a large number of Jewish people, so there was a big amount of people to minister to. So he ministered in two places. He ministered in the, in the synagogues, and he was actually in the synagogues for three Sabbaths, which is where he found all his trouble because he was... Um, Going into the Sabbath with the message of Christ was not usually well received. And he also began to work in the Greek marketplace where he found open hearts, much more open hearts, people who were much more ready to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. But it was a short-term experience in Thessalonica, and he got into a lot of trouble. A mob of Jewish um, zealots, became very, very angry at his message that he was bringing in the message of Jesus Christ and attacked him, and his friends had to help him escape the city during the night. So he had a very short ministry there. He wasn't alone. He actually had Timothy and Silas with him, and so they also were part of his team and helped him with the short-term time that they were there. But this The next place that he went on his journey forward, he ended up in a place called Corinth, and that would be where he would have written to the Corinthians. He was still very concerned. Can you imagine that you only got to start a church? You were there for such a short amount of time, a month or so, and you you have seen new believers, and you know that you have started a church, but then you don't get to stay and teach them and and help them grow. You just have to flee for your life. So, of course, he was concerned about how they were doing. And so that's when he actually wrote to, well, first of all, he sent his friend Timothy to check on them. And after Timothy came back and gave him a report on how the church was doing, he wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians. So the letter was probably penned between 50 A.D. and 51 A.D., which would make it the earliest known epistle. So this is the first letter, really, that was published from Paul. So that takes us to our first passage then this morning, 1 Thessalonians. If you don't mind, if you could just read all the way through 1 through 5. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, 
your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. All right, so we're going to see Paul establish the foundation of his influence to Thessalonica. So these are some things then that we see are necessary for influence. The first thing, influencers gather partners. So it makes sense that you impact more people if you get some people to help you. And so Paul mostly speaks of we in his writings because he never was by himself. He always had ministry partners. In the first missionary journey, he had Barnabas. In the second one, he had Silas. So he always had ministry partners. So in this case, the we is Silas and Timothy who helped him start the church. The second thing we see about influence is that you have to, you need influencers to work at being an influence. So if you want to be an influence in somebody's life, you're going to have to participate in their life. You're going to have to get involved. So Paul reached out to the church of Thessalonica. God had called this group out. And Paul and his team wanted them to embrace the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He extended them the two gifts from God. He said, I'm going to give you grace. I'm offering you grace and peace. Grace being that spiritual relief that was undeserved, that caused them to change, that caused them to, to submit to Holy God of the universe, and peace, which is a relationship a restored relationship. It's a reflection of the restored relationship that a person gets when they submit to God. So grace gives us the standing that we need with God so that he can indwell us with his Holy Spirit. And then that allows us to have peace as we are now in a restored relationship. It's settled. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship that's been stormed and it's fragile and it fell apart and it was difficult and then there was a restoration there's while things are if you are like me you don't like conflict while things are you're experiencing conflict there's this unrest and you don't feel like you can sleep well and you're replaying the last argument or the last words that were spoken or or the thing that you're upset about it's just going over and over in your head that's not peace but then when the relationship is restored, there's this calmness that comes. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to the wrong way. But God laid it on Jesus to restore us. So when we submit and we accept grace, the restoration takes place and then we have peace. That doesn't mean that the world isn't crazy and that there's not things happening that are still going to bother us. But that peace that comes in your life from restoring things with God is essential. It's the real peace. And influencers need other people to help them do this. And then they also use that peace as part of the influence. See what's happened to me? See how much I'm living with this peace? I want you to have that. And so that picture of becoming an imitator and saying, this is what God did for me, that testimony 
then is what will pull in from your influence others who will want to have Christ in their life. The third thing we see in this passage about influencers is that they model what they believe and represent. So Paul expressed to the church that he was praying constantly for them. He had no hard feelings that they kicked him out of the city, that he was just about to get killed. (laughs) Remember, he had a lot of tough days in ministry. But he knew that they remained in that very hostile place. And he loved them, and so he modeled that love to them and how he prayed for them every day. Continuously, he said. Both Jesus and Paul demonstrated complete devotion to God, trusting their needs and their concerns to God. Paul let them know he was up to date on what happened. He cared about what was happening. He had checked in on them. I don't know about you, but when somebody checks in on me, I feel loved. Somebody calls me up to check on me or somebody stops and says, how is Joyce? I know that you've been thinking about her and praying for her. That means a lot to me. That's what he was saying to these people. I've checked on you. I'm praying for you. That was a big piece of his influence, that he was showing them how to live. He only was with them about a month. So he's showing them what Christianity looks like. Christianity's love looks like checking on people and praying for them. And that's what they had, was to be able to imitate him and what he had told them about Christ. That's what they had. But God would use it. The next thing that we see in this passage is that Paul influenced by giving his love's interest interest to the people of the church. So you can't influence without passion for those you want to influence. So he told them he passionately loved them. Now, what you're passionate about, people usually know. People know what you really care about. They know if you have something that you really love because that's what you talk about. And Paul is making sure they know, I'm taking the time, which is not an easy thing in the day that he lived in, to pen a letter. I told you before, he had to get a scribe and he had to get somebody with him to do that. It was not a little thing. And, And then to be able to have the paper and... It was a huge undertaking. You are very important. I passionately love you. That's what our Savior says. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He passionately loves us. And that's the influence that God wants us to take to the world. He passionately loves us. And as influencers, we passionately love those that we're trying to influence. And he says they have hope because they were chosen by God's love. He did it for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did it before we were born. He did it because he already knew we were going to need the help. He already loved us from the foundation. And so, therefore, we have hope. And our hope is based on that special love. And they also had, he said, the power of Christ's resurrection And that was going to change everything. And that was changing everything in this church. So that takes us to the rest of our scripture today, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5b through 10.
You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So if you're trying to be an influencer, then you have to know that Paul lived among the people in order to influence them. So you're going to have to hang out with some people. You're going to have to have to do with people. You can't isolate yourself. You're going to have to do some things in order to um, be in ministry. Paul wants us to benefit from his teaching abilities and from his ministry, and he wanted the Thessalonians people to see him in everyday life. So he worked among them. He was a tent maker. He preached. He sat in their homes. He partook of their food. He became part of them. And that was the example. And it was really the way he was able to start a church in such a short amount of time. They were able to have just a true basic knowledge of Jesus. So if you're so worried as an influencer about knowing everything. You don't really have to. You just need to know about Jesus. You need to know how to tell somebody how to accept Jesus in their life. And you need to know your story. Those two things. That will be your influence. Because people really care about, well, what does that mean to you? And that's what they want to hear from you. But they do want to know about Jesus. They, they need to understand who Jesus is. And so every time in Acts that you see Paul come into a situation, you hear him tell a very brief story of Jesus, that why he came, that, he had, that there was a plan from God from the beginning for him to come, and that he would be rejected, and he knew that. And yet he would be actually put on a cross as plan of God to be our sin offering, the perfect Lamb of God. But that wasn't the end of the story. He already knew he would conquer death and that he would rise again and that the power of the resurrection would then be made available to all who were atoned for and that all of us would have a chance to be made holy and clean before the Heavenly Father, that we can be with him. And that's the good news. That's why it's called the gospel. That's what we're supposed to be sharing. So if you've ever been on a mission trip, you've, you've understood that in a very limited time, you're going to accomplish something so huge. I remember the first time I was going on a mission trip, my brain was trying to wrap around, first of all, I'll just be honest, spending that amount of money to go somewhere for just two weeks would make such a difference. I mean, I had to think about it. It was a lot of money. We were had growing children in the family, and was this something that we could sacrifice for? Oh, there was no doubt in my mind after I did it. But before, I didn't, know, I didn't know. I wanted to see, what does this mean? So we went on the mission trip in this foreign land where you think, how much can you accomplish in two weeks? 
And then you get to see the power of supernatural God who has gathered people from all over the world and he's got them there for this specific time, for this specific purpose, and he magnifies every word that comes out of your mouth. But there's probably no other time in your life that you just will spend your entire every minute telling people about Jesus, telling everybody you meet about Jesus. So I had the privilege of going on one. It wasn't the first one, but I had the privilege of going one to Kenya. And it was kind of a work and Christian endeavor. It was a missionary who brought us in. She had been laying the bricks for this trip for over years. And we were probably the third team that she was bringing in because women were treated severely and hatefully and brutally at childbirth in Kenya. And when we got there, they were literally a story in the newspaper of how women would go in the bathroom and hang themselves if they didn't have the money to pay their hospital bill because they wouldn't be able to be discharged from the hospital if they didn't pay. And sometimes their family members just couldn't come up with the money. And so it was so cruel. And so we went into that environment and we just talked 12 midwives This is a true story. We just talked 12 midwives that were from all over Kenya in a Catholic convent, spent a week with them, and taught them how to teach women how to have a baby. And we taught those women how to help them have a baby. They didn't have drugs and epidurals and all that. We taught them how to help women with pain and what would be a humane approach instead of slapping them around when they were crying. And I've never believe what happened we went all over the ho- we went all over the country and met with administrators of hospitals and they thought we were something like major it was crazy they thought we were so powerful and god transformed childbirth in kenya by the time a year passed and the next team went The hospitals were competing with each other and trying to make it a really good place for people to have a baby. That was the culmination of years of prayer by that missionary and years of God working. But it just like came together and it happened and it was transformational for women in Kenya. But we were able to lead people to the Lord and administrators heard our voice as Christians. As in any mission trip, the missionary has a chance to allow God's fruits to come in. And even in that first mission trip I went on, at the end of the two weeks, I remember being sad that we were having to leave and I had worked so hard. And and yet the missionaries that were there said, we have another team coming. God has already called some more people to come. And the, the bricks that you've laid this week, they'll be... They'll be cultivating flowers next week. And then I knew that it was worth every single dollar that anybody had given me to go because God was just using Frida in one spot and one time for this, but he had a big picture, and he was making things happen. So for a little while, was was part of the influence in some other countries. And every missionary trip I've been on has been that way. So God had lived among them, and the result 
was that they became examples to the people. And honestly, that example was what would carry this church until they were able to receive this letter where he gave them more theology, where he helped them know what to do if they thought they were being persecuted, where he helped them understand God's big picture for the end times. Thessalonica gives us a real eschatological framework. He tells us what's happening in the end. They didn't get that from him directly. They just got imitation. So I think about if you think today, what is it that people would get from imitating your life? Because as one of the people in Romania said, Frida, you are Jesus. I've never forgotten those words coming out of her mouth. It was the most humbling moment. I wouldn't just fall on the floor and just cry and say, no, I can't be that. But that's all they had from us was that picture of us loving them as Jesus. That is influence. So the focus on a mission trip is to completely make converts to Christ. And missionaries were the first influencers of the Christian faith. Christians, all of us, remain the influencers of Christianity. God has designed a plan, and he started with Jesus choosing disciples to learn from him. He gave the Great Commission. He said, go ye therefore into the world. Therefore was implying the reason we are here for. So we are to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded, And lo, he says, I am with you. Preach and teach. I am with you. Take it to the ends of the earth. Jesus is with us as we go to influence. As you're scared to say that word to somebody, go ahead and say it. Jesus is with you. Jesus was with their church at Thessalonica. And it says they, their voices, actually, this is a big word, rang out to Achaia, the southern part of Greece. So not only in Macedonia, the northern part of Greece, but their words were ringing out, and they were a port city. And so people were hearing the testimonies of these changed lives, and it was pushing out into Europe because Paul obeyed and did what he says to do, because Silas obeyed, because Timothy came along in ministry. So Paul said the stories were shared of people turning from idols and they had turned to serve the living, true God. And their conversions were radical, and they were getting the attention of the world, and they were making other people grown to them, drawn to them. So today we use all the modern methods of influence. We think about those who brought influence in our lives, whether it was a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. I thought you would love this last story. So by... um, 2008, Billy Graham's lifetime audience included radio and TV, and he had topped 2.2 billion people that he had touched. So there was a, a little story about that. It says, you can count the apples in the tree, but who can count the apples in one seed? That's a uh, uh, little saying. So is the influence of a single person. So it starts with Edward Kimby, who was a Sunday school teacher who had a big old class of hyperactive boys. They were rowdy. Sunday after Sunday, he tried to reel it in. He tried to teach them about the Lord. It was really difficult to get their attention. One of them got on his heart so much that on a Saturday, he went to the young man's workplace, and he actually was able to... um, It was a shoe store. He was able to get his attention for a few minutes on a Saturday. The young man was Dwight L. Moody, who became a great evangelist. 
and he led him to the Lord at that shoe store that very day. So under Moody, another woman, another man's heart was changed. His name was William Chapman. He listened to him and became a Christian, and then he became an evangelist. And under his evangelism, a young man who was a baseball player named Billy Sunday came to the Lord. Billy Sunday was so transformed, he didn't want to play ball anymore. He wanted to get out and find a way to share Christ with other people. So they kind of teamed up, the Chapman and Billy Sunday kind of teamed up in that ministry. And under their ministry, a young man named Mordecai Ham became a Christian. Mordecai Ham was an evangelist who came to Charlotte. He was a fiery man. He was a fiery Christian, fiery evangelist. And he was preaching, and there was a young man named Billy Frank who heard that he was in town and who swore he would not be going to hear that crazy man. But he stirred up such controversy in his first night there about talking about the high schoolers were going to a house of ill repute across from the high school that he kind of got his attention and he wanted to go see what happened because some of the high schoolers were going to go protest and cause some trouble at Mordecai Ham's service. And so Billy Frank went there out of curiosity, but he was intrigued by what he heard. So then he turned and went back another night. And that was enough to get Billy Frank to hear the word of God. And that night, he was saved. He was converted. His name became Billy Graham. And that was how Christianity would affect the world, much like Paul. So let's not forget, though, that the, the beginning of that story was the obedience of a Sunday school teacher who had a bunch of rowdy boys to not give up, and to go after one, specifically go after one, because that chain of events would lead to someone who would reach out and reach 2.2 billion people. So I don't know who's influenced you, but I can, I can be assured that if I had a conversation with each one of you, that you would be able to touch back on who has influenced you, who has really touched your life, I remember the shock. It was literally a shock when I went to my first 10-year high school reunion that a young man that I had been in high school with came to me and said that I had influenced his conversion. I didn't even really know him very well, but he had paid attention to my Christianity. So you don't know who you're walking in front of. You don't know who's watching you. But every day, you have a chance to be an influence. And I think that's why we're going to study Thessalonians. In a time of such disturbing trials and, and difficulties, and we see our world in another place where we ethically don't know what should happen next, and we're just sorrowing over what's happening in Ukraine, and we realize we're in the end times. We have to take a day-to-day -day approach to Christianity that every single day, someone we meet may need the Lord. We might be able to plant the seed. We might be able to invite them to Christ. So I encourage you this week, look for your influence. 
Look for the influences God brings into someone's life because you prayed. Let's pray. Yes. Thank you, Charlotte, <laughs> from my side. <laughs> That's a great story. Thank you, David. Father, we just thank you so much for this lesson. It is powerful, and it came from you. It is your word. We ask that you would just be indwelling us with your Holy Spirit, speaking into our hearts exactly who and when we're supposed to influence. And, Lord, we know that you will use everything powerfully and much more dramatically than we can ever know so that one day in heaven we will see the results of all the connections that you have made for people to know you in jesus name we pray amen even really know him very well but he had paid attention to my christianity so you don't know who you're walking in front of you don't know who's watching you but every day, you have a chance to be an influence. And I think that's why we're going to study Thessalonians. In a time of such disturbing trials and, and difficulties, and we see our world in another place where we ethically don't know what should happen next, and we're just sorrowing over what's happening in Ukraine, and we realize we're in the end times. We have to take a day-to-day -day approach to Christianity that every single day, Someone we meet may need the Lord. We might be able to plant the seed. We might be able to invite them to Christ. So I encourage you this week, look for your influence. Look for the influences God brings into someone's life because you prayed. Let's pray. Yes. Thank you, Charlotte, <laughs> from my side. <laughs> That's a great story. Thank you, David. Father, we just thank you so much for this lesson. It is powerful, and it came from you. It is your word. We ask that you would just be indwelling us with your Holy Spirit, speaking into our hearts exactly who and when we're supposed to influence. And, Lord, we know that you will use everything powerfully and much more dramatically than we can ever know so that one day in heaven we will see the results of all the connections that you have made for people to know you in jesus name we pray amen